Today on Ag News Daily. As we get a brewer and it's just slowly easier to get another brewery and another distillery and that's just kind of how we built on our customer base. Uh, it seems to be getting easier every time we get now. Early. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday. Friday, I should say, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. It is a Friday here in the Delaney. Well, maybe not on my end. I woke up to a flat tire this morning. Uh, don't know how I made it all the way back to my parents' house in Dallas from Lubbock with a screw in my tire, but I'm glad I got here safely last night. But definitely not a fun thing to wake up to on a Friday morning. No, certainly it is not. But it is pretty chilly down here, seeing some light showers this morning, thunderstorms last night, and I kind of love rainy weather. So I guess, you know, the good can outweigh the bad. It's probably a good uh, day to watch a little Netflix or TV or snuggle up, huh? Oh, definitely. I uh, didn't get to really do any of that last night, though. As soon as I got to my parents' house, my dad had me working in the barn with the pigs. So (laughs) didn't get to uh, relax too much as soon as I got here. But definitely uh, a good weekend to be home. Like I said yesterday, I think we're going to go out to, to some shows this weekend. So I am excited to do all of that good stuff this weekend. Well, that'll be fun, but I can't imagine you're going to have a ton of good weather for that, Ashton. I was talking to a meteorologist who actually is Ed Valley's partner, who we've had on the podcast before, was chatting with him about some weather questions I had. And it sounds like for much of the United States, especially the Corn Belt, going to have some continued colder than normal temperatures in the Midwest. We're seeing over the weekend potential scattered showers and even some snow. And, uh, you know, this time of year, we've seen some record low temperatures. We also saw record high numbers of snowfall inches for uh, parts of, you know, Iowa, I believe maybe a couple other states as well. I'm not going to lie. I've only paid attention to Iowa so far, but uh, expecting that cold front to continue here for at least the next week or so, it seems. Yeah, actually, I know in Lubbock, we're supposed to be getting some pretty cool weather and possibly some snow, at least on Tuesday of next week, which was a little bit of a surprise for me because earlier, I think it was earlier this week, I had said that, you know, I didn't think we would be getting snow or anything in Lubbock anytime soon, but I think I will be proven wrong. Yes, I think you will be indeed, Ashton. Well, the first piece of news that I want to share with you, Delaney, is Missouri. They are the newest state taking on high-speed broadband internet. It's definitely something that I've been keeping my eye out on. But Missouri is getting $91 million in new USDA funds to bring high-speed broadband internet to thousands of customers in rural communities. Missouri Rural Development Director Jeff Case said the new ReConnect program funds combined with ReConnect One total nearly $200 million in grants. Farm Service Agency Administrator Richard Fordyce joined Case and recipients of the newest grants and loans earlier this morning, I believe it was. But uh, one of the recipients of the 
of the of the loans, Travis Allen of Total High Speed LLC in Ozark. So they're excited to build fiber optic systems for 10,000 homes, which he says will be life changing for them and for farmers. Yeah, it will certainly be certainly be life changing as we see more folks have access to high quality internet, Ashton. Certainly will. And being here, you know, in a rural community at my parents' house right now, I don't have the greatest internet. So I'm really glad that folks over there in Missouri are going to be able to have access to to high-speed internet. Absolutely. Well, another thing people will have access to in China is more corn. Reports estimate that is the well here in the first nine months of 2020 this is the most that we've ever seen china import when it comes to corn in about 15 years and that's looking at a full year so here we are nine months or really 10 months now but looking at the first nine months they have imported more corn than they have for any other full year in about 15 years that's been caused by a few different issues going on in china right now one of course as we've talked about with market monday folks they are having a delayed domestic harvest they've also seen because of that delay in domestic harvest they're Local domestic corn futures price, the Dalian corn futures have pushed up to 16-year highs. And the government says that even though all of this is going on at some point here very soon, the country will readjust and likely see their corn futures go back down to a more normal price. Because even though China has had typhoon damage in the Northeast and a couple of other weather issues, Their harvest has been delayed a little bit because of those issues, but they're still expecting a bumper crop to end sometime this month. However, like I said, we're still seeing China come to the table and purchase U.S. corn and U.S. soybeans. And that was echoed this week in the USDA's export numbers. We saw Chinese importers snapped up about 1.2 million metric tons of soybeans. 433,500 tons of corn and 40 or excuse me 64,700 bales of cotton. They've also uh, stepped up their game recently in US beef exports as well. So um, you know, physical exports I would say are a little bit little bit uh, smaller but still relatively strong here looking across those four commodities and so we are seeing China step in we're seeing them buy and we are seeing them follow through on those purchases you know Delaney I read a story I say read I really just kind of skimmed it glanced over it earlier today talking about China and their corn imports and I believe in in the article, it was talking about how there's also been an increased demand for livestock feed. Is that something that's kind of playing a factor as well? Yeah, absolutely, Ashton. I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, as we see China continuing to rebuild their pork production, their swine herd after African swine fevers really ran rampant through their country, we are seeing them finally rebuild that herd. And uh, we're seeing that reflected, as you're mentioning, with the increased need for feed for those uh, swine herds. Well, hopefully that'll continue to serve as some good news to our U.S. corn producers. But I just have one other piece of news for today. It was a bit of a slow day, I suppose, in the world of agriculture. Earlier today, the European Parliament said that restaurants and shops in the European Union should be allowed to label products as veggie burgers or vegan sausages. 
there has been a calling for tighter curbs on labeling of plant-based dairy substitutes in the European Union, obviously, but I believe, you know, kind of around the globe, especially here in the U.S., we've kind of had an issue, I suppose, with labeling as there's more plant-based products being introduced to the market. But EU lawmakers voted to reject proposals that were backed by farmers to ban plant-based products from using terms such as steak, sausage, or burger, because they argued, well, the farmers argued, I should say, that the using of words like burger or sausage for non-meat products could mislead consumers. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again, that I'm kind of a labeling that when it comes to things like this. So I'm kind of on the farmer's side that it can be misleading to consumers, and I don't really think that we've seen too much of something like this going on in the U.S., but I suppose as we continue to see plant-based products being introduced into the market that we will maybe see something like this, especially with, you know, a new election coming up on, you know, whether or not this is going to be something that we see lawmakers talking about. Yeah, I don't think it's a conversation that's going to go away. And I could see it being a conversation that maybe we think we have some clarity on. And if we see elections go one way or the other, that conversation could shift uh, substantially. Absolutely. But like I said, Delaney, it was a little bit of a slow day in in the world of agriculture, at least for what I was seeing on the headlines. But I'm a lot of news for today. Yeah, I am too as well, Ashton, other than talking about the markets for today. Well, let's go ahead and get into that conversation. All right, let's do that. And it looks like uh, grains were able to sustain yet again rallies. Checking out here the December corn contract up three pennies today to close at 419 and a quarter. The March up two to close at 420 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, November adding 10 cents to close at 1083 and three quarters. The January up eight and three quarters to close at 1081 on the nose. In the Chicago wheat pits, the December contract adding a dime to close at 632 and three quarters. March up eight and three quarters cent to close at 632 and a half. Livestock today had some mixed trade as the December live cattle contract added a dime to close at 103.57 and a half. The February shedding 15 to close at 106.62 and a half. Feeder cattle weakness today with the November contract shedding 77 and a half cents to close at 129.65. The January down 65 as well to close at 125.55. In the lean hog markets, strength today as the December contract added 82 cents to close at 67.02 and a half. The February up up 7 cents to close at 66.92. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, November adding 75 cents to close at 22.19. December adding 75 as well to close at 2016. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation today talking about the malting process. Well, for today's Friday conversation, we are talking to Blaze May, who is the owner and operator of Maverick Malt House. Blaze, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, Delaney and I, as well as our our listeners, a little bit more information about you, maybe a little bit of a backstory and how you got into the malting business. Um. Well, uh, me and uh, my business partner, uh, Corey Artho, uh, we started this business um, several years ago, and it all kind of started um, back when we 
we took a tour of a distillery and uh, were essentially told we couldn't do something. We were told barley did not grow well in Texas and we're told there was not a malting facility in the state. And so that's when we decided, well, we're going to try and see if we can do it. And so we, it's been many years coming, putting it together, but, um, we, after a lot of research and a lot of classes and a lot of, a lot of work, uh, we, we figured out the right varieties that grew for barley and, uh, we learned how learned what malt was when we first started this. We really didn't even know, um, what the malting process was. And so, and we, oh, we just kind of put it all together and finally got to the point where we were in production. And so we've been in production now for, uh, almost three years. We've been making malt for three years and, uh, things are finally, finally starting to, to go on the up and up. And we've been excited to business together. So, that's a really neat story, Blaze. And I want to go back to something you mentioned there that you said barley wouldn't grow in Texas, or was it just certain varieties that wouldn't grow um, in Texas? And if so, why why wouldn't barley, why wasn't that a good crop to use for uh, malting? Well, uh, barley is the main, the main grain used in making malt. And when we were... <clears throat> talking to this distiller they said well barley doesn't grow in texas and what he meant um was that um the malting varieties there the, the specific varieties that are used for malting didn't grow well in texas because of our our climate uh, there's plenty of forage varieties um here people plant you know for forage for hay and stuff like that but um these other varieties uh, produce low protein grain, which is what, which is really needed to, to malt them properly. And we were told they didn't grow well here because it gets too hot too early. And so it just really hadn't been done. And so we went to doing our research, Corey and his dad had been farming for Corey's a fourth generation farmer. And so we went to looking for varieties close to us and, went up into Colorado and other places and found varieties and Corey went to planting in about three years of planting varieties. And we got found varieties that actually grew well and got the protein down where we needed it. And, um, and we're fortunate to, to find that it, it actually does work. It takes a little bit different way of farming. Most farmers up here are, growing grains for the cattle industry so protein is high the higher the protein the better and so when we're trying to tell a farmer that we need low protein grain they kind of look at you funny <laughs> but uh, we we're also fortunate enough here in uh, the Wilderado Vega area that um, we're at 4,000 foot elevation actually here in, in the Panhandle and so we have really cool knots and that is very beneficial for us to grow the barley. It allows it to cool off and not stress. And the stress is one of the big factors that causes that protein to rise. And so because of our location, we've been fortunate to to get some barley to grow properly. So 
That's really interesting. So when you look at the high versus low protein barley, I assume that's probably a specific hybrid or trait that you have to produce or plant originally. And a second part to that question is, are you guys growing all of the barley that you use to make your malts or are you sourcing it from other local farmers? Uh, to the answer to the first, uh, yes, there has been um, specific varieties that have been bred, you know, even from Europe that they have been, it has been bred over many, many years to produce a, a grain that is easily malted from low protein to high germination rate, uh, kernel size. There's a lot of factors that have been chosen to make a malting barley and, um, uh, what was the second question? I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I, mean, I assume <laughs> you have to produce quite a bit of barley. Are you guys producing, growing that all by yourselves, or are you sourcing that from other farmers in the area? Uh, we have sourced a little bit of grain from other farmers, but mostly uh, Corey and his dad are growing it. Uh, we grow it um, ourselves um, on the local farms here um, in between Vega and Hualdorado, Texas. And so it's just been um, kind of been easier to do it that way because we've we figured out how to grow it properly with, you know, and so doing it ourselves is, has really been kind of the way to do it. Uh, with, and uh, we're not going through a whole lot of grain. You know, we're, we need a half a million to a million pounds of grain. And to a lot of farmers up here, that's a pretty small plot of land. And so, it's it's really worked out for us to just grow it ourselves. Um, hopefully, in the future, we'll we'll as we expand, we'll need more than just one farmer so that we can kind of spread out the risk a little bit uh, with our pretty volatile climate up here. Between hail and tornadoes and winds, uh, we're going to need to make sure it's spread out enough that if we lose a crop, we're not we're not hurting too bad. So. So, Blaze, how are you marketing your malt or your grain to to customers, and who exactly are you guys selling these products to? Uh, most of our marketing, we do mark some marketing, uh, you know, website, and then social media is important. Um, but uh, really, the big marketing is just going to our customers and potential customers and sitting down. And talking to them, word of mouth is is big in the industries that we're after, and who we're marketing to, and who we're going after are the craft brewers and the craft distillers in Texas, mostly. Uh, being here in the Panhandle, we're trying to branch out into New Mexico and in Oklahoma as well, because some places in Oklahoma are closer to us than places in Texas. So, but that's really. Um, the craft industries are pretty small in comparison to a lot of industries as well. They all know each other. And we just go sit down and have have one of their beers and talk to them. And that's how we've done it. And as we get a brewer and beyond, it just slowly gets easier to get another brewery and another distillery. And that's just kind of how we've built on our customer base. Uh, it seems to be getting easier every time we go out now. Early on, you know, the, no one knew who we were. And now they they recognize us, recognize our logo, our brand. 
and have heard that, you know, maybe we do have a good product and consistent product. And so it's become easier and it just seems to be kind of building on itself. So Blaze, I imagine that if you are working in a, or you own a malt distillery, you're probably sampling your products. Um, explain to our listeners the difference between, you know, malts and whiskeys and scotches and all those. I mean, I don't drink a lot of those, to be honest. I've never been able to get past, like, the harshness of some of them. So walk uh-huh. us through, like, if you were going to sample something like your a malt uh, product like you guys produce, how do you go about sampling it? And how do you know the different tastes and flavors and what it should taste like versus not? Uh, well, first of all, we are just a malting facility. And so is what we do is the malting process is a uh, it's a three-step process and is what we're doing is controlling the sprouting process natural sprouting process of grain uh, we're sprouting the grain and then once it sprouts like we want it uh, we germinate it for several days to get it to grow get that plant to grow from the grain and when that happens we're um asking enzymes to grow the starch is being modified in the sugars and a lot of a lot of that modification that is done is what is beneficial to a, a brewer or a distiller. And then when everything gets like we want it, gets modified like we want it, we add heat with air, uh, and so we start to stop that process with heat. And then we can do other types of malts with different types of heat, different types of humidity to create lighter flavored malts, darker flavored malts. Um, you know, if you're drinking a lager or, or a Pilsner, you're using lighter malts. If you're drinking a Porter stout, you're using darker malts. And so on the brewing side, that's, that's how that is done. But what we are actually providing is just the grains, the modified grains, which is malt. And we also provide raw grains, uh, like, corn um, and raw wheat, raw rye to distillers as well. And so the sampling of our product is mostly just chewing on grains. And so, um, you know, there are some flavors that you can tell that will be in the finished product, but um, to sample a finished product, we have to go to one of our customers and drink their beer and drink their whiskey and their bourbon to taste the final product from, from our product. So if that helps. Well, Blaze, this is certainly something that has been really interesting to learn about. And with me being in Lubbock, I hope to someday can, can make it out to the, the area that you guys are in up near Amarillo and, and stop by and see how things are going. But for our listeners who can't make that drive, where can they find you guys at on the web and on social media to follow along with, you know, what, what's going on at Maverick Malt House? Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Just Maverick Malt House finds us um, on social media, and uh, we have a website. It is a little outdated. Uh, we are just pretty much two of us running this company, so we're pretty busy on the actual labor side of things, and we get kind of caught up, forget to update some websites and stuff. But we do have a website. Hopefully, we'll update here in the next few weeks. Um, if you're 
you're in Lubbock, uh, Pinkerton's Distillery and Triple J's uses our product. And um, almost all the breweries up here in Amarillo use our product. Um, brewery, I mean, we have breweries in Midland, uh, Dripping Springs, distilleries in San Antonio. Uh, so we, we've kind of have quite a few people, uh, quite a few customers spread out through the state right now. So just kind of look for us. It's kind of hard to name everybody that we're dealing with right now, but sit down and ask if we're in the, in the beer. And if not, tell them that they need to go buy something from us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Blaze, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast today. You bet. Thanks for having me. This is another way of our, us doing marketing and letting everybody know we're out there. So um, we are a little unique and that we grow it ourselves. We store it. Well, again, a big thank you to Blaze for coming on the podcast to talk about Maverick Malt House. And I am a big fan of Triple J in Lubbock. It was actually, you know, the first article that I wrote about that got me published. So I am a diehard Triple J fan. So I think I'm going to have to go over there and, you know, have a little bit of a taste for myself of their, you know, their beer. Yeah, I, uh, I like I said on the podcast earlier, I wish that I liked or knew how to sample or try things like scotch and whiskeys and bourbons and all those good things. I think it just seems very sophisticated. I just, my taste buds aren't quite there yet to enjoy those finer, uh, finer things. The good thing about Triple J, I will say Delaney, you know, shameless plug here, but they, they brew their own beer. They have like Oktoberfest beer and all sorts of stuff. So Luckily, I'm I'm a beer drinker, so I think that I will be all good on those terms when it comes to, to sampling. You certainly will, Ashton. You certainly will. But folks, I tell you what, heading into the weekend here, check out the Ag News Daily Podcasts if you're in the tractor this weekend finishing up some harvest. But if you're not, you can always find us on the website agnewsdaily.com. You can also check us out on social media by searching for at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.